I'm sorry for all the incense around here. We never usually do this. This is uh, purely for your sake. Anyone who's a natural around here will know it's up. Who was the most dangerous man in the 20th century? Someone ever asked you that. What do you think? The most dangerous man to live in the 20th century. Walt Disney. 100%. Yeah? Him and that wicked Mickey Mouse and that magical white castle. Why? Because he created false expectations of reality. And there's this German philosopher, his name is Theodore Adorno. And he was making the point that Walt Disney was one of the most dangerous men of the 20th century because the whole point of philosophy and theology is to understand the truth, the nature of being, what reality is, so that we can adhere to it and act accordingly. And Walt Disney and the Hollywood whole paradigm of movies and stories, how many of you would think, would say that Hollywood's really a great representation of what life is all about? And yet those are the stories that we fill our minds with. And whatever stories we fill our minds with is what we will try to enact in reality. And so if my expectations, what life should be, that when I fall in love and find that one, when they finally come along, I'll have that happily ever after ending to my life. What happens when my expectations don't match the reality that is in front of me? I'll never forget this time I went water skiing with a family. It was, it was great. I hadn't done it for like 10 years, and I'd only done it once, one time before that. So all I knew basically was how to get up on the skis. Has everyone gone water skiing here? Basically? Okay, I'm going to sound really stupid then when I tell this story. But I hadn't done it very often. So I was there just going along the water, just going back and forth. And at one point, they were going to unload me right next to the beach. But I saw a bunch of friends on top of the beach, and it was kind of empty up until like 15 yards in. So I was like... Wouldn't it be so cool if I held on and got really close to the beach, then let go and just slowly, like, you know, Fonzie style, slide right off there? <laughs> Why was that a really bad idea? Because water skis are not compatible with sand, right? So the water skis decided the second they hit that beach to remain where they were. The rest of my body decided to fly that 15 feet and land on my back. So my expectations didn't match reality. And the sad thing about that is reality doesn't really care about my expectations. Right? So I can't change that. So the reason divorce happens often in this world is because we have the wrong expectations of what marriage is actually about. So I want to talk today about what the purpose of marriage is. Not the world's understanding, not Hollywood's understanding, but what was God's intention when he himself instituted marriage. Now, this is a problem because this is a really sensitive topic. I think every single one of us either has friends, probably in family, or ourselves have come from divorced households, myself included. I think I had one friend growing up, I didn't have a lot of friends, but I had one friend who didn't come from a divorced household. It was the norm. And like that household was just, it was like weird to actually see both parents there together. So it was never part of our upbringing. So number one, it's a sensitive topic. Number two, I'm going to ask you guys for money today. So that's also too bad. I wish that we could just have like the gospel part about Jesus inviting this little children to come to him. Just a lovey-dovey thing. But my whole goal here as the priest for many of your children 
is to help them have the proper expectations of reality so that they can succeed in life. That's our whole goal. And truth is really difficult. We don't like to talk about truths because oftentimes fantasy, it protects us from having to convert to change our life. But the truth hits us like water skis on a beach. Like I have to convert my life to this if I actually want to survive and live accordingly. And so if you want to support a center that is really based on talking about authentic relationships and what it takes to make a marriage succeed, then please give us a lot of money. Because we need $5,000 to meet a donor who will give us $10,000 if we raise five more. Out of the generosity in your hearts. So, <laughs> but we look at the readings. How do we go from the first reading, right, in the Genesis, where Adam, flesh of my flesh, Behold, the one. This incredible moment of realizing that the woman is the answer to everything he's been looking for, the true compliment. And yet, at the very other end, in the gospel, the time Jesus comes, he has to set a prohibition against divorce. Why would that even be the case? Infatuation fades. The initial feelings that we have in the beginning fade. A philosopher once said, you only need to tie things together that left on their own accord will naturally separate. So the very fact that we need marriage bonds means that left to our own devices as human beings, we will naturally fall apart. And that's okay to understand that. It's actually necessary. If infatuation was forever, we wouldn't need the marriage bond to protect it. I mean, love is its really interesting in that way. It's like, at the beginning, when you fall in love with someone, you're willing to lose everything in order to have that relationship. And yet, at the same time, we need a prohibition from ever leaving that person once we actually get entrenched in that relationship. A girl once told me, she said, I think the principal fear of a woman when she first encounters a man, she can see in his eyes when he falls in love that behold, flesh of my flesh. And she said, the, the fear that we have is, will that remain tomorrow? How long until that infatuation, that wonder that you have in me fades away? It's like that Shirley song. Tonight you're mine completely. You give your love so, I'm not actually going to sing it, but you give your love so sweetly, but will you still love me tomorrow? That's always the question. And if we base our our devotion and our promise on purely infatuation? The answer is no, because the feelings come and go. And we're all looking for a tomorrow kind of love, a love that lasts. And the way that we have that is by having the proper expectations. So real love stories, the difficulty is real love stories, they're not the rom-coms that form our imagination. They're not the twilights, the beauty and the beast, or the grace lightnings the happily ever after fairy tales. Real love stories are dramas. Sometimes they're like horror films too. <laughs> Never suspense thrillers, all right? There's nothing mysterious about waking up to the same person every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> One romance author, he's this great you know, romantic author, but he, he tweeted out, he said, marriage is saying, do we need anything from the grocery store? a bunch of times until one of you dies. 
But the movies, the more we watch the movies, we start to go into relationships expecting like a perpetual prolongation of passion, right? And, and you just can't have that. Passion can't coexist with being together all the time unless it's a passion hatred, which can come up, all right? But if, my, if, that, if that's my expectation, when the reality hits, I crash, right? So what is the reality that we're looking at in our times? Since the 1960s, we've really come to put so much emphasis on finding that perfect right other person, that, that one we've been waiting, waiting for who will complement everything I desire. And yet, so almost two-thirds of marriages right now are failing. More than 60%, and it's only climbing. It's like, if you're going skydiving, and there were three parachutes right there, and the instructor says, by the way, two out of three of those probably isn't going to open up. But I have a really good feeling about you. Why don't we take the jump? It's like, how many of us would want to jump in the Alpha airplane with that? And yet, that's what's going on in our times. The marriage industry, right, to get married, generates about $2 billion a year. It's a lot of love, right? Divorce industry generates $50 billion a year. That's a lot of heartbreak. And why does that happen? And I think it's because part of it, this is, marriage is complicated. Relationships are complicated because we human beings are complicated. You can never just put it to one thing. But right now we're talking about expectations and reality. And I think one of the principal reasons that this is happening is because we've forgotten the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is revealed in actually the final line of the gospel. After Christ talks about the prohibition of divorce, what does he say? And let the little children come to me. That doesn't really seem to flow from what he was talking about before. But he brings it all to the children. Because marriage is about children. More than the feelings, more than the chemistry, more than how much I'm getting out of the relationship. What marriage is really about is be fruitful and multiply. Die to yourself for the sake of your children. An indissoluble union between one man and one woman for the purpose of bringing up and helping your children get to heaven and one another. And that's what Hollywood doesn't talk about. Hollywood stops at infatuation. It stops at that initial just going away in the sunset and we think that marriage is about maintaining that kind of affection throughout our life. Yet so much of that has to die in order to give your life to your children. So it doesn't go through to the very end of the goal. The purpose of marriage is actually exactly what we're celebrating today, Parents Weekend. Every single one of you, as a parent here, was fruitful and multiplied, and your marriage bond was for the sake of the children that you have before you. The greatest gift a parent can ever give their children is to be faithful to their marriage vows for better, for worse, richer, or poor, sickness and health, till death to us, till death to us part, for their sake. And that's exactly what divorce hurts most. It's the children. 
and I was listening to a comedian. I love listening to comedians now. I didn't know why, because a lot of them say a lot of inappropriate things, but they're really funny. I'm like, I don't know if I should be doing this. <laughs> but the reason the comedians in our times are so funny is because comedians will always point at the system and, and point out the flaws, right? They're the, the, the jokers in the king's court, the jesters. That's their job. And one comedian I was listening to, he's like, you know what? Everyone says marriage is forever. No, it's not. It's temporary. Divorce? Now that's forever. The longer you go in divorce, the stronger it gets. You know, you never find someone like all breaking down saying, oh, my divorce is just falling apart. I don't know what to do. It's like, no, that gets stronger. And he said, There's the greatest thing about divorce is I'm such a happier man now. Because I only have to be a father a few days of the week. Well, how, who can't do that? Who can't be a father for three good days and then send them away? And so he's making the point like, yeah, divorce is actually a lot better for the individual. And he's right. There's truth. But who does divorce affect? Who's the collateral damage? It's the children. It's always the children. And what's the purpose of marriage? The children. So we don't talk about these days. The statistics are very clear on that. Higher rates, if, if you come from a divorced household, you're, you're twice as likely to get divorced yourself, premarital sex, drop out of school, much higher addiction rate to drugs and alcohol, social problems, because they're kids from broken families, we're naturally more afraid of the world, because right? we didn't have that protective environment. Our foundations broke when we were younger, and so we don't know how to engage with the world. So we're much more secluded. There's also 70% of prison inmates came from broken homes. And there's a 300% chance, of higher chance of poverty coming from broken homes. So it's the children who suffer. A young man, uh, he told me a story. He said he was really resentful against his father and his mother because they fight a lot. And one time he opened up to his father about that. He's like, you know, you made me not want to get married because you and mom just, you never were, were really close. We could tell. And his dad looked at him and he goes, the hardest thing that your mother and I ever did in our lives was staying together. And we did that because we knew it was the best thing for you. That's the greatest gift we'll ever offer you. That young man went to get married. He didn't understand at the time, but he went to get married. A few years later, he came back to his father and said, I understand what you're talking about. It's the gift. That's a story we don't talk about much. We don't honor those. And yet, it's the very purpose of the marriage. So life is all about expectations. Question is, do my expectations match reality? Because we're all looking for heaven. We're all looking for that kingdom of joy and peace and love that we're made for. But the kingdom of Disney is imaginary. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, that's real. But it's not free. And it's not of this world. And the way that we get there to that kingdom is by taking up our cross every day in our resolve to love one another unto death. And that's what the Mass is supposed to be teaching us. That every single one of us in receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ from this altar, the mystery of Christ's union with his bride, the church, 
consummated by this is my body given up for you. That every single one of us can do the same for one another. A mother giving up her, child, her body for her children. A father giving up his body for his family. And a priest in celibacy giving up his body for his parishioners. And living that reality will enable all of us to live happily ever after in eternity. And that's what marriage is all about.